It's good to be back. Did y'all have fun on Imago Day? I had a blast. I don't know about y'all. Um, it was good to be together. I, I've, I've really been praying for each of you guys that the things we talked about all weekend would really have taken root in your own hearts um, and that um, the time would really be blessing to each one of you. And I'll say, like, being together all weekend, worshiping together, being just hanging out the whole time, hearing the word of God, worshiping. I just felt full after that time together. I don't know about you guys, but I felt full. I was tired, but I felt full. And um, because I was tired, I was fortunate enough to take Monday off of the next week. And so I took Monday off after the retreat. And the intention was to kind of have like a slow, quiet day, just me and God. Essentially, just me and God to have some solitude. So I slept in. I had a slow morning. I had some coffee. I read, read my Bible. Um, was able to be slow. And then I went for a big walk. And again, the purpose of this big, long walk was just for me to be with the Lord. So I had no AirPods in, no music, no phone. For two hours, just complete quiet with me and God and in my thoughts, which is a scary place to be. So I had a snack. I start walking. I walk down Session Street, and then I walk right past the church, cross the train tracks, go to Kennesaw Avenue, and walk all the way to the mountain, all the way down Kennesaw Avenue. I hike the mountain. I get past the really steep part, and then I find a bench with a perfect view. find a little quiet bench. It's a beautiful day this Monday. It's like 55 degrees, sunny, not a cloud in the sky. I can see so far. I can see Atlanta. I can see Stone Mountain. I can see miles. And it was so quiet. That was the best part of how quiet it was. You hear the birds chirping. You hear the trees just rustling in the wind. It was really like for a moment I was just like in heaven. It was so beautiful. And then right as I'm getting settled on my bench, enjoying the quiet, I hear these two ladies talking. And I'm talking, they are talking loud, like, like screaming at one another, truly screaming at one another. And I was confused because I was like, no one talks that loudly to each other in a conversation. It was really, it was really disorienting. And I was like, are they mad at each other? And I was like, am I, am I going to have to mediate and like kind of split them up? And I was like, I didn't sign up for that. I'm just on my bench. I'm not in the, I'm not in a place to go separate them. I'm just on my bench. And so then I realized they're, they're yelling because they had crossed paths and they were friends. So they were talking nicely to each other, but one friend was going up the mountain. One was going down the mountain. So they kind of like had met, talked, and then they kind of kept going their up and down ways, but kept talking as they were leaving. So they kept just talking louder and louder and louder as they were separating, but not ending the conversation. And so they were literally screaming at one another. And I was like, guys, like, it's my mountain. Like, I'm here. Buy- like, I-, I bought this mountain today. I took today off. It's Sam's mountain today. And they're screaming at one another. And here's like, this is what blew my mind. They closed the conversations Two older women. They look at one another screaming and they say these words, the peace of the Lord be with you. And I was like, who talks like that? First of all, I was like, the apostle Paul talks like that in Ephesians. But I was like, who just shouts at one another, the peace of the Lord be with you. I was so confused. And then I was sitting there and I was like, what a beautiful thing to say to somebody. As strange sounding as it might be. I was like, what a beautiful thing to say. These two women who have been friends probably for a long time, the peace of the Lord be with you. And I was just like, I was blown away. I was so confused. But then I was like, that's kind of exactly what Ephesians 2 is actually about. Is Paul saying, hey, the peace of the Lord be with you. So last, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the first 10 verses of Ephesians 2, which is all about, hey, you were born dead in sin and you were made alive in Christ. That's the whole point of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, is you are peaceful with God now because of the blood of Jesus and nothing else. And now tonight, we're going to see another form of being reconciled to one another. Not to necessarily, obviously, reconciled to God vertically, but this passage tonight, verses 11 through 22 that Ellie just read, that we are reconciled to each other. So this passage is all about because we are reconciled to God, we are now horizontally reconciled to one another, regardless of skin color, socioeconomic status, political party, school, whatever it is in Christ, we are all one because of his blood. And so, like these women said to one another, we can have peace with one another regardless of our backgrounds. So that's what our text tonight 
is all about. So with that in mind, again, let's read verses 11 through 13 again. Therefore, remember that at one time you, Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So point number one is this. Our growth in Christ is fueled by a constant remembering of what Christ has done for us. Our growth in Christ is fueled by a constant remembering of what Christ has done for us. Every week at Redeemer, you've noticed every single week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, everything we do is the same ultimate message because it's what we believe the message of the Bible is, that we are more broken than we originally thought, more messy, more dirty things going on, and a lot more sinful than we wish we'd admit. But in that state, in Christ, we are more loved than we could even dare to dream. And the reason we say this each week is because our faith is driven forward as we remember that truth about us. So my first question for us tonight to wrestle with is just, if you were to look at all the thoughts you have in a given day, if you were to take inventory and like kind of list all the thoughts you have out in a single day, what, what would some of the things, what, what would show up? If you're anything like me, if I were to take inventory of Sam's thoughts for a day, it would probably be a lot of anxious thoughts, right? A lot of self-doubt, some thought, maybe some loneliness, some I should be better thoughts. Maybe there's probably some good thoughts in there, right? Fill it in. But probably... Our brains are just full of a lot of negative things. Anxious thinking, again, worried thinking, doubtful thinking, shame thinking. And the hard part is that we don't really have a lot of control over our thoughts. I don't know if you've kind of noticed that. Random thoughts just pop in your head all day long. They just pop in, pop out, and then, they, and then you keep moving. It happens all day. And if you're anything like me, my brain can be an exhausting place by the end of the day. And the reason is because no one's meaner to me than me. No one is harder on Sam than Sam is. No one talks more negatively to me than me. I don't know if you relate to that. Thoughts come into my head all day. Thoughts like, Sam, you should have done this. Sam, you shouldn't have done that. Sam, you, you know those people don't really like you. Sam, you, you should be a better husband, a better pastor. Sam, you should read your Bible more. All these thoughts of, Sam, you should do this. And Paul knows this. Like, Paul gets it. Because Paul was a human. He had experiences like this, and Paul knew, knew that the Ephesians knew it. That our minds can run wild, and in the midst of that, forgetting what is most true about us. Every Wednesday, the 11th and 12th grade guys and Ben and I, we, we meet at Marietta Perks at 6.30 for Bible study. And we, we got there this past Wednesday. We're all tired, get some coffee, and we open up to Revelation chapter 2, which is what we've been studying. And Christ in Revelation 2 is speaking specifically to seven different churches in the ancient world. Um, each of them have some good things. Each of them have some issues to address. And Christ is addressing them. And one of the seven churches is the Ephesian church, which is the church that we're reading in this book. And so here's what Christ in Revelation says to the Ephesian church. This is Revelation 2, 1 through 4. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, Christ, that's what it's describing. This is what Christ says to them. I know your works, Ephesians, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Good things. But, verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. The Revelation was written about 30 years after the book of Ephesians. And here's what Christ is saying to the Ephesian church. You do the right things. You know the right things. You got your religious checklist in order. But he says you've abandoned your love. You've lost your love. You do the right things. You have the right checklist. But he's saying 
The deep love you had for me at first, he says, you've abandoned it. The church that once had a deep passion and excitement for Christ and his mission is now just doing it operationally without a heart for it. And this is a great temptation for, for you and for me to show up to church, to do all the right things, to avoid all the wrong things, but for our hearts to be cold in the midst of that, isn't it? The thing is, if our relationship is filled with a lot of religious duties and checklists, our faith will grow cold. But if our relationship with Christ is one of deep, abiding, soul-level love, it will flourish. And so Paul's first word here in our passage, again, is remember. And he's speaking to Christians. Remember where you were apart from Christ. And this is the language Paul uses to talk about a life apart from Christ. There's five things. He says, this is what you're like without Christ. You're separate from Christ. You're Christless. You're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You're nationless. You have no nation to belong to. You're strangers to the covenant. You're friendless. You're without hope, hopeless, and without God and godless. And this is a terrible reality. This is what Paul is painting for this Ephesian church that existing uh, apart from Christ is not a good reality. It's hopeless. But this is not the final word as we saw in verse 13. The ultimate remedy, the remedy that we teach on every single week is that you who are once far off, more broken than you originally thought, are more loved, brought near by God in Christ than you could even dream. And the reason Paul does this to the Ephesians is because our Christian life does not graduate beyond remembering the simple truths of the gospel, but it's actually fueled by it. So in all of our negative thoughts, all of our anxious thoughts, our shame-filled thoughts, we should seek to be a people to replace those with gospel thoughts. That says, remember, remember who you are at your core. Remember that you are loved by God in Christ. And so then Paul goes on in verses 13 through 18. But now again, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Christ himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came, Christ came, and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So point number two is a simple point. Through Christ's work, we have peace with God and peace with one another. Through Christ's work, we have peace with God and peace with one another. If I were to ask you, what makes you, you? Like at your core, like what, what makes you, you, what would you say? You might begin with, oh, here are some of the things I do. I'm, I'm a baseball player. I'm a volleyball player. I'm an artist. I'm a singer. I, I, these are the things I do. I'm, I go to school. Maybe you begin with things you love, like the things you're most passionate about. Maybe it's soccer, maybe movies, maybe sports, whatever. Maybe I, I love to draw, you know, like whatever it might be, whatever you love. That might be how you answer that question. What Paul is doing here in verses 13 through 18 is describing to you and to me the core of who we are, that if we are in Christ, Our entire identity has been made new. The core of our core has been made new. He says there in verse 15, in Christ, there is a new man or woman. He's saying that in Christ, the defining feature of who you are and who I am is most deeply identified in Christ. He says, you may be a boy, a girl, black, white, American, Chinese, whatever. These are good distinct features about you. But what he says is below the surface, you are in Christ. And Paul paints this really beautiful picture for us. He uses the phrase, the dividing wall of hostility. I don't know if you noticed it there in the passage. He says it's been brought down. At this point in human history, in the first century, in this time that he's writing, there is so much hatred between Jews and non-Jews, or Gentiles is the uh, word that he uses. And there's so much hatred, I don't think we can fully wrap our minds around it. Jews would literally pray in the temple out loud for God to not forgive the sins of the Gentiles. How much, like... How mad would you have to be as somebody to do that? To pray out loud that God would not hear their prayers for forgiveness. 
That's what the Jews would do. So in this time, there was a temple. The temple was the center of worship. So it's like, if you want to go be with God, you go to the temple. That's what it was like in this time. So here's a, there's a picture I'm gonna, we're going to have. A, this is what the temple looked like. It's a little confusing. I'm going to explain it. So there in the middle where the, the square shape is with like a, a lot of drawings, that's where the center of the temple was. In the middle of that is the Holy of Holies. In other words, if you want to go where the presence of God is most saturated, you go to the Holy of Holies, but only one person on one day a year could go in there. The next level outside that is what's called the priest's court, and that's where only the appointed priests could be. The next level outside that is where the Israelite men could be. No women were allowed in there, only Israelite Jewish men. And then the next level outside that is the women's court, and this is where Israelite Jewish women were allowed to go and worship. Then you see there's a little thing up there in the top kind of right there called the beautiful gate. To even get through that, you had to be Jewish. And then you see the rest of the space in the temple, the kind of outer area, you see it says court of the Gentiles. There's this low wall that separated the Gentiles and the Jews, this low wall. And in three places on the wall, there was a sign that said no entry to Gentiles. Recently, in the last couple hundred years, these two of the three signs were actually recovered. Uh, you, can, you can go look it up. And they read something along the lines of, they found it, and it reads something like, if a Gentile is found past this wall, he has only himself to blame for his death. It's a deep level of hatred that we can't even wrap our minds around. So in other words, again, there was such a deep level of hatred and animosity between Jew and Gentile that Jews would actually have Gentiles murdered if they crossed the ethnic borders to come into the temple to worship. So Paul's saying, hey, the dividing wall of hostility is broken down. And then their minds are immediately brought to the temple. Because they're like, oh, that means that I can go into the presence of God in its most saturated place. And now what Paul is saying is Jews have no reason, according to the word of God, to think that they are above Gentiles. And what this means for you and me is that there is no place for ethnic superiority in the church of Christ. This means that anyone who is in Christ, anyone who believes in Jesus for their salvation, we must reject ethnic superiority in every form we see. The reason is because gospel exceeds skin color. Gospel exceeds nationality. The gospel exceeds country and nation. If there is anything in us that we find that is drawn to likeness or to think differently of somebody because of their skin color or political beliefs or whatever, we need to reject that. Because in Christ, we've been made a new person. And actually, most of the Christians in the world aren't white. Most of the Christians in the world are in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. And so the heaven's actually a really beautifully colorful place. We need to embrace that. And if we're tempted to think that Jew and Gentile is only a religious thing and not an ethnic thing, I want to point us to Genesis 12. This is what God, his call to Abram was. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So when we see the word nation in verses like that, we immediately think country, right? We think Germany, America, Canada, like we think country. What that's actually talking about here is peoples. What the, that word there for nation, when it's translated over to the Greek, it's the Greek word ethnos, which is the word that we draw the word ethnicity from, right? So what that passage is saying is all ethnicities of the world will be blessed with the gospel of Christ. The gospel, from its roots in Genesis 12, is inherently an ethnic phenomenon. But the Israelites twisted God's call on them. And they said, oh, we're special. See, anybody that's not us, we're supposed to bless them, like the passage says, but we're actually going to think that we're, we're better than them. And the reason is we have this temple issue is because the Israelites did that. So what Christ has opened the door for us is to genuinely love people that look differently than us, to reject the superiority that the Jew and Gentile situation had. And you remember even what our call to worship said 
That in the new heavens and new earth, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow the knee to Jesus. That's the picture that we have. So just a couple questions for us to ponder. Who are the people in our lives that we find the hardest to love? Maybe they look like us. Maybe they don't look like us. Maybe they think like us. Maybe they don't. But who are the people that we find in us maybe the most hatred for? Another question is, do we find within us an inclination to look down on people that look or think differently than us? Because it's, it's maybe within most of us, and we need to face that with the gospel. Because the gospel would invite us to be free to set that before Christ and find forgiveness and freedom from it. But let's close with Ephesians 2, 19, 19 through 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So point number three, and then we're going to close. I'll be quick. Point number three, in Christ, we are brought into the fullness of God's blessing for us. In Christ, we are brought into the fullness of God's blessing for us. To the Gentile that hears this passage, they would be absolutely blown away by this. They think, no, only the priest gets the most of God. And what Paul is saying is you have full access to the Father, 100% unhindered. That's earth-shattering. Do you notice the progression that Paul gives here? He goes from kingdom to household to temple. So he says, he kind of does it like this. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're actually given full citizenship with God. And then he goes deeper, household. You are members of the household, which means you are invited in the front door to eat at the table. And then you're no longer rejected from the inner parts of the temple, Gentile. You're made into a temple for God to dwell. It's one thing to welcome somebody into a country. It's another thing to open your front door and invite them to eat a meal with you. And it's even another thing to give that person a royal and spiritual privilege, isn't it? The deep progression that he gets to is ultimately getting this big point. In Christ, we have access to everything we could ever need. We have access to everything we could ever need. We've been given citizenship. God has said, come into my house and eat with me. And then we've given a level of royalty, so much so that God would say, you are the temple. Not only is just this temple, this place for the Jews to go, and they can, they can be with me in the fullest form. He's saying, you're, you're the temple, which means you yourself have full access whenever, wherever. That's why the woman at the well was so blown away. She's like, we go to Jerusalem to worship, and God says, no, it's in spirit and in truth that you worship because these walls have been broken down. So just a couple of questions I've been meditating on in my own heart this week, some things for you to be pondering um, as well. So here's three questions for us to think about tonight and this week. Number one, where am I trying to find purpose, meaning, or blessing outside of what I've been given in Christ? Number two, what are some negative thoughts I can replace with gospel thoughts? And then three, what sort of freedom can I step into knowing my ultimate citizenship is with God in heaven? We'll leave that on the screen for uh, a few seconds for y'all to look at those. Um, but I'm gonna pray for us. Father, Thank you for your gospel. Thank you that in Christ we have the full forgiveness and freedom and love and belonging that our souls could ever need. Um, Lord, we recognize that there is a lot, of, a lot of sin within our hearts. We are drawn, even in ourselves, to think more low of people that look and think differently than us. And Lord, we confess that and we're grateful that in Christ we're actually free to find forgiveness for that. We're free to not get canceled for that. Because in Christ, all are messy, but all are forgiven. Uh, and so Lord, we just confess and say, we, we need to grow. We need to turn from things within us. And we're grateful that we find a full love in you in that. Uh, Lord, I'm grateful for this time we get to share. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it always speaks to us. Thank you for the new life that we find in you. That we were once far off 
we are Gentiles. The gospel is in Marietta, Georgia, because these walls have been brought down. So Lord, I pray for our own, our own hearts that we would all grow more deeply rested in your love for us. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.